What do y'all want to talk about? As it pertains to the gospel. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Linda, you got something to say? Yeah. <laughs> Here's your chance. I did. You asked twice. Anyone? Greg, just confirm for me that, um, like in the scriptures, when Paul is correcting the churches, he's correcting their belief. So when you give somebody con correction, it's on the belief, not actions. Yeah. Now, with that being said, if a person is obstinate or dug in that what they're believing is correct, then you could point to the fruit that's coming out or manifesting in their life as the evidence that they're not believing correctly in that area. Right? You see what I'm saying? And yep. you see a picture of that with Paul and the guy that was having relations with his father's wife. Mm -hmm. Right? That guy was trying to establish that as the right way. Mm -hmm. And so in order to prove that's not the right way, look, man, and he'll, he'll, he'll point to the behavior. You see, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking to somebody who's co having committing adultery on their wife and they're trying to tell me that by the grace of God, they have the liberty to do this and that by the grace of God, this is okay, that there's no condemnation for them, then immediately I understand they don't understand those things at all. And I'll start going into the, the scriptures and pointing to that's the fruit of death. It isn't for me to get them to try to clean up their act it's for me to correct the persuasion in their heart, right? Ultimately. But that's a scenario where you could point at someone's behavior, right? To convince them that what they're believing on is producing death, mm -hmm. right? So that they would change their mind from what they're believing and believe the correct thing, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Does anybody want to add on to that? Mm. That's good. In the context of a relationship, right? Or, yeah, well, I mean, we'll keep talking about what you mean by that. Well, I just, that would be my question about, it, just more of a pragmatic question about when do you bring, talking about the fruit of somebody's life, if you're, you know, you're doing evangelism, right? Yeah. Evangelism. And you're just, you don't really know the person, that there's not a, a walk that's been built. And so do you, do you go to the, the fruit of their lives and... It depends for me. If they come to me with it, then I will, right? But yeah, obviously in the context of Paul writing there, he's writing to people that he has a relationship with and that are asking him. No, I'm not running around finding people whose behavior I think is wrong <laughs> so that I can point a finger at them and, and condemn them for what, for what they're believing. No, You're rather... not, but that, I think that's uh, very proper. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Method, oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> No, I'd rather just be with people and then allow uh, the relationship to develop to where you could speak into somebody's life, right? But upon being confronted with that kind of a thing, um, that's what I would say. No, it doesn't mean you go insert yourself into everybody's life that, that you disagree with, right? <laughs> so one of the, I'm going to shift gears on you. One of the things on Wednesday night we talked about, we talked about the cross on Wednesday night. It was, it was excellent. Man, it was so good. One of the things that was said was, we need to be crucified 
before the life of Christ dwells in us. And um, I'm still kind of twisted on that one because you don't hear that in, in any evangelical message. In fact, you don't hear that in any message at all where the crucifixion, where our dying to ourselves and being crucified in that occurs before the life of Christ dwells in us. I just think that's, and when you start to really dig into that statement, I don't know how anybody else feels about it, but that to me was like, first, I'd never heard that said, right? That you need to be crucified before the life of Christ dwells in you. I think it's just like, well, no, I'm going to pray the magic prayer and it's all done. Right, that kind of thing. It's like, how many scriptures talk about the magic prayer? Zero. <laughs> and yet we built our whole modern Christianity upon that. Yeah. Right. right? Yes. That's what yeah. we call conversion. Yeah. Getting people to pray a magic prayer, then that's it. There's nothing wrong with leading somebody in a prayer, right? Right. After you preach the gospel and they say, well, what is there for me to do? Right. Uh, commit your life into the hands of God. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, what does that mean to you? Well, I, part of it is that it's just the newness of that thought, but it also it just brings to it brings to the table the whole idea of what the cross is all about, and and um, I really like Galatians two twenty, and that I've been crucified with Christ. So I, it it just it just helps reinforce that scripture, and it also it also clearly explains why so many Christians are walking around with a carnal view of things because they have not died to self. They have not allowed themselves to see themselves on the cross, crucified with Christ, and that old man dying. They're still hanging on to that old man um, and wondering why they have a fruitless walk with Jesus. Well, I'm going to keep grilling you then, Jay. <laughs> what does it mean to die to self? And what, who, what is the old man? Because those are terms that, that people could think different things about. Sure. That would really impact whether or not they're experiencing <laughs> the death of self and the death of the old man. Right. So I'll start with my, my thought on the, the old man is the man who is living in self-effort to achieve God's quality of life. <clears throat> using yeah. the strength of his hand, our, our own, using our own flesh to try and achieve eternal life. And, Pete, and the fruit that comes from And the fruit term. that comes from that, right. Right, because right. inherently we know peace and love and joy and kindness and meekness. Every human knows that's a just life, right? And every human wants to feel peace and love and joy and kindness and meekness and patience. Right. Right, and they want to feel it all the time. That's why we get upset when we don't feel it. Yes. Right, so right. the old man is the man that thinks by the strength in his own hand he's going to gather life to himself from the good in the world and by the good in the world he can gather to himself, that will serve him with peace and love and joy. Right. So then from that context, your definition, which is really good, what would it mean then to die to self? Would be to see that that old man is a futile way of life and to see that the only way unto life is through the Father. Right. So you, I know the religious terms dying to self, yeah. right? I get that. <clears throat> Really, what you could say is that in being crucified with Christ, you're becoming alive to yourself, actually. Dead to the world. Right? Yeah, dead dead to, the, to world. the world. Right. Yeah, because you were never created to live by your own hand. Yeah. You were never created to look to the strength in the world or the strength in your own flesh to gather life to yourself. Right. So it's in becoming dead to that way. When it's in becoming divorced from that way of life. 
that you're actually becoming alive, yeah. right? You're dead to sin and alive to God, mm-hmm. right? And so dying to self means that you aren't walking in the world trying to gather life to yourself anymore. Right. You're not walking in the world trying to preserve your own life. You're not walking in the world trying to justify yourself with peace and love and joy, right? You're not looking to justify your life with the things in the world. That's right. what that's what dying to self right. would be. And until you get to that point, until you are crucified, I think what this what this statement really is saying, just in different terms, is until you get to the point where you realize that you need to die to self, you you may be filled with the spirit just by virtue of your salvation experience, but the life of Christ is not evident in you. Well, you're not experiencing then you go. the life right. of Christ. Right. You're not experiencing Fully. it. Right. And but that's when, what we see uh, Paul say in Galatians. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Yes. Right? Because right. you're seeking to be made justified through the strength of the flesh. Yes. He's not talking about they're not going to go to heaven one day. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about them experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Right. He's right. talking about how he was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lives. But the life he lives in the flesh he lives by the faith that was revealed in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Meaning, Jesus didn't look to his own hand for life. Right. Jesus didn't look to the strength in the world for life. Jesus laid down the life he could gain from the world because he saw the life that was in the Father's hand. He saw the Father's hand stretch forth towards him to gift him the life right, that he wanted. Yeah. And so he laid it down. Yeah. Right, And that's, that's what Paul's talking about. The Galatians, he put Christ clearly on display in their midst, Christ crucified. But they went away and they were deceived into thinking that they could now be justified through the strength of the flesh, right? right? By getting circumcised in the flesh of their foreskin. So they were identifying with the old man. You could say it that way. Sure. Right. If you behold your life in the world, that will keep the life of Christ from manifesting in you. Why? Why will it keep the fruit of the Spirit from manifesting in you? Because the world can't father peace and love and joy. No. The world can't father rest. The world can't father patience or meekness. It can't father uh, long-suffering. It can't father love. It can't father any of those things. So if the life you're identifying with is the life in the world, you're essentially calling the world your father. Yeah. Right? Well, if you're looking to the world to be the father of your life, well, the world can't father the life of God. So you're going to not experience the father's life as you're walking in this world. Right? Right? That's what Paul's talking about. You guys aren't experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Another way of putting it is, uh, let's say a woman was in a, an abusive relationship. Uh, she was a battered wife. And then she got divorced. And then her first husband died in an automobile accident. And then she got remarried to a wonderful guy who met all her needs. And she's still living like she's married to the first guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. she's haunted oh, by good. the memories of her pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the second, uh, second husband just wants to comfort her. But she's uh, been abused. And so she's not getting to experience all the benefits of this new marriage. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very good, very good. I, I think it's just, <clears throat> it's just a more powerful and more graphic way of saying, unless you die yourself, you won't experience, you won't have the fruit of God's life manifesting in your life, right? It just, to me, it was just, it's just more graphic and it's more powerful the way we stated it Wednesday night than the. We've talked about the fact that we're talking cliches so much, right? In terms of walking in this, you need to walk in the spirit and bear the fruit of the spirit. 
And damn, man, I tried to do that in my own strength for 30 plus years. We don't know what that means. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I had no clue what that meant. Well, even saying I need to buy to self or I need to whatever, the first thing that comes to me is I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So then you're right back to, well, that sounds good, but how do you do that? How do you die to self? Right. Right? It's funny. Cindy, a nice personality. She's, I think I can. I'm like, I know I can't. I know I can't. <laughs> and yet you two are able to dwell and walk together. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. we got to get you all to Not teach that to the church. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> all right, so how, do you, how does someone die to self then? How does that happen? Well, that's like, how do you wreck? Were you going to say something? Oh, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I always looked at it, you know, back in the day as dying to the things that were bad. So drugs or lust or, you know, all of these things. But not in, like I said, I would look to the good things in my life that would happen as proof that God was either with me or he wasn't with me. That he was for me or against me. Or, you know what I mean? And so, it's you know, it's, it's definitely more than just, you know, the fruit aspect of, of what's coming out of your life. It's that this world, even if you got everything that you think that you wanted, it's not going to bring the fruit of God's life or peace or joy. You know, none of that. No, nope. it can't. You know, it's just life. like Jesus said: if you if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But yep. if you lose your life for my sake, then you really find it. Yeah. So that's exactly what you're saying. Right. Yeah, you lose your life. Mm-hmm. And Greg, can't this be a process too? That you can have some fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you could have certain areas of your heart or your life that have experienced trauma, and you still have a wall built up in that area over here in the corner. You're trying to pretend like that's not part of the house anymore. It's over there in the back. You don't ever open that door, right? And, and, and so there could be some fear in that area. There, there could be some anxiousness at the thought of the walls coming down and, and that just being let out, and you're standing there naked. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at my life, as an example, and I'm sure some people could identify with this. Um, I had some fruit in my life uh, as I as I lived and grew up, um, but I still had this area in my life that I was filled with fear, right? Because of the intensity. And I thought that I got all that straightened out. And when I came back and started the church, when we started the church and I had to stand up in front of everybody and talk, all of a sudden my nakedness was out in the open again. <laughs> And my heart was like, what are you doing, bro? Get you up out of this place. The Bible says to get away from your homeland, not to come back. What are you thinking? Right? And why? we don't like this pain. Remember? Remember? Danger, danger, danger. Get get out of here. We don't have to take this anymore. And so I thought I was good, but there was still a part of my heart where I was clothing myself. And I didn't realize it. Right? But at that point, I realized it real clearly that in this area of my life, I was still trusting in my own strength to protect myself, to save myself from fear and anxiety, to guard my own life. And luckily, I knew enough about God in that place that he was able to put me to rest in the midst of the anxiety. That, that's what will happen. You'll begin to see God so much with you that all that old, we'll call it PTSD. Mm-hmm. We, all got, we all have some areas in our life to try to manifest PTSD where we experience great pain and trauma in those areas, and then things trigger that, that. 
And then we immediately feel like, <laughs> you know, like we're right back and living it. It's not just like a wartime thing. It's a design of humankind sure. of a thing. Right. What, what the gospel comes and does is, is reveals God with you in the midst of your nakedness. Right. Which is what the PTSD experience would be when you look at the scriptures. It's the world uncovering <laughs> your nakedness. It's the world pointing at you and telling you, you're dying. What are you going to do? It's the world telling you you're separated from what you need to have life in God likeness. What are you going to do? If you really are the son of God, right? Then come down off the cross. Clothe yourself. Use your ability. Feed yourself with life if you really are God's son, right? That's what it sounds like. Well, what the gospel comes and does is it opens your eyes. It heals your blindness. And it shows you God there with you in the midst of all that darkness swirling around you, in the midst of all that confusion swirling around you, in the midst of the accuser telling you you're all alone and you're naked, what are you going to do? All of a sudden you see God there with you, right? Right. And the more you start to see God there with you in that place, it puts your flesh to rest because you realize what the psalmist realized, what Jesus knew on the cross. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption, neither will you leave his life in the grave. Right. And so you begin to see God there with you. And the affliction is trying to tell you you're dying. You're going to die. You're going to go into the grave. You're going to your nakedness is being uncovered. But then your heart starts saying something else. But God will not suffer me to see corruption. He will not leave my life in the grave. And then you find yourself committing your desire to be clothed into the hands of the father. Next thing you know, that area of your heart gets healed. Yeah. That area of your heart that you were trying to protect, that you were trying to preserve out of fear, it gets delivered. In that place. That's called giving up the ghost. Mm -hmm. We see that picture in Jesus on the cross. He gave up the ghost, right? And so that's the, the, the dynamic where you could have some fruit in one area and you could have you could be saved unto eternity. You could have the Holy Spirit in you, but that area in your heart, right, hasn't quite gotten sorted out. Now we don't walk around judging ourselves whether or not we have life by every area being fixed yet, if you want to call it that. We're not striving, trying to fix whatever we think is wrong. What we're trying to do is encourage each other and remind each other that God is with us to be the father of our life. That's what all we're trying to do. That's all we want to do. Because whatever we want to point to as the problem or whatever we want to say about what isn't the fruit of life, do you know what will fix it? Beholding God with you to be the father of your life. Exactly. Right, beholding him and you and you and him, that will fix everything. So that's what we want to gather and encourage each other in. Right, we don't want to sit around and be like, well, when will this be fixed? When will this be healed? When will? When will? When will? When will? Listen, man, we ain't trying to get somewhere. We're already there. We're in the bosom of the Father. Amen. Because Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, and we're in His bosom, and so He's in our bosom. We're in His bosom. So we're like resting on each other. Right, we're already there. Right. And so all that we're doing now is being reminded and beholding that and talking with God like we would talk with our friend when we feel pain, when we feel hurt, when we feel confused, when we feel afraid. Right now we're communicating with God right in that place. We're not trying to get to the place where we don't feel pain anymore. The gospel is not about trying to get to the place where you don't feel triggered anymore. The gospel is about when you feel triggered next time, you behold God with you in the midst of feeling triggered. And instead of connecting or having intimacy with your own strength, you start having intimacy with the strength in God's hand, right? And you find yourself comforted in the place of being triggered. That's what we're trying to do. It's a misnomer. You, when you're trying to get to the place where you're never triggered again, that's still trying to find the perfect life in the world. Life isn't found in never being triggered ever again. 
That's what the world says. That's why we have safe places. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're not trying to get to the place where we're never triggered again or nothing ever bothers us again. We're trying to have eyes to see God with us everywhere we go, especially when we feel triggered. Because what will start happening is, even in the place of feeling triggered, we'll feel safe. Yeah. It's like a strange contradiction. <laughs> right? Where we could feel a pressing in and then still feel safe. Right? We See, the world doesn't think those two things can coexist. The world doesn't think you can feel pressed in and you can feel safe, right? But you can. Jesus felt pressed in. He sweat blood and he felt safe because the father was with him, right? He saw the father with him. And that's the great equalizer. I promise you, you see God standing there with you. It doesn't matter what's standing across from you. If you see God there with you, it will shrink whatever you see standing across from you. Like Paul said, this light affliction, right? Like, G, like it says about Jesus, that his heart disesteemed the shame of the cross because the death of the cross, the shame of the cross, the discomfort of the cross, the pain of the cross, when it stood next to the glory of the Father, it became as nothing. You could also picture it, like for me, my visual is kind of like a flooding out. So like if I think of my heart and if something's triggering it, like the Spirit of God coming in and if it's flooding out with the Spirit, then all the the pain is being pushed out because there's no room. Mm -hmm. And so, or you can think of that with light. Like if the light is flooding something, then the darkness is unable to stay. It's mm -hmm. being pushed out. Right. And so it fills it up. So there's, it can exist. I mean, and you know, that it can ebb and flow, obviously, where you can experience that again, but that's just the visual. And that is an effortless byproduct. It's not something that you do. It's the effect. It's the effect. And it's a natural thing. It's just, yes. a, you can think just for, like in terms of physics, like if physical space that's flooded out. Displacement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, displacement. I like, like to think that, I like a couple of these two scriptures. One would say um, the road to destruction is, is wide and to peace is narrow. And um, contradictions from this world come in many different forms, contradicting who we are, who he is, our peace, our love, our joy. Um, and I think that's why he says, above all things, guard your heart. Hey, Jeff. It's nothing you say. <laughs> <laughs> above all things, guard your heart. It's nothing because you say. that's where we feel fear. That's where we feel uh, sadness or doubt or it's not even in our mind. It's our heart. Yeah. Yeah. We ought not be surprised if we encounter things in this world that aren't consistent with life. Amen. We hate death. And we hate anything that we think is not consistent with having life. Yeah. Right? And the fruit of that is fear. Right? But the fruit of encountering things that aren't consistent with life, when you see God with you, in you, in you and him, it dispatches the fear. Right. It decapitates the, the death or the giant that you think is standing opposed to you. Mm -hmm. And you start thinking, who is this uncircumcised Philistine <laughs> that he should speak against the children of God? Right? Yeah. Like David. Yes. <laughs> That's good. I'm so glad Jay brought that up because that really, really. So what caused Paul to die to self? Did Paul... Was it an exercise of willpower? No. no. Was it an exercise of him saying, well, the good and the right way is to die to self, and then I can experience life? No. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus, right? 
And what did, what did that mean to him when he saw Jesus? Everything else was garbage. <laughs> Everything else was garbage. Yeah. That's how you get there from here. <laughs> but I think I, I think that is a process of time. So I would. My personal thoughts is that the more that you see that you're dead to this world, the more that knowledge, which becomes heart knowledge, you see evident of that in the fruit of the spirit. What I would also say though is that that not fully knowing that you're completely dead to this world and understanding the gospel fully that in that and in God's grace that you can still experience the fruit of the spirit. Cause I think, I think if, you know, someone hears this, they might be thinking, well, I understand what you're saying, the, the, the end point and what the gospel is. But I also know that people who I've talked to about the gospel and they might not fully grasp what it means dying to self, but they still are experienced, I think, in God's grace, and they have the Holy Spirit in them, the fruit of the Spirit. But I understand what you're saying, that, that the, the, the ultimate of the gospel is that you understand that you're dead to this world. Because yeah. otherwise, I think it sounds like if you don't understand that you're fully dead to this world, then you can't experience any fruit of the Spirit. You can't experience the fruit of the Spirit. We'll just use the Galatians. Do you think that, do we, do we think that they were experiencing the fruit of the Spirit once they started trying to be justified by the strength of the flesh? No. That's Does why. that mean they never knew God was there? No. No, I mean, I think they obviously knew God was there. It's difficult for me when I look at the Galatians. Um... Because if you're walking after the flesh, the flesh is going to produce its fruit in you. Right. And so, can you be filled with love and hatred at the same time? I don't know. Can you be filled with love and, and fear? I mean, you could feel fear. But we'll just use this as an example, Simon. And you, and you could say what you think about this. Um, because I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think we could be walking after the flesh in some areas of our life, not having learned, like Paul said, he learned to be content. There could be some areas in our life that we haven't seen that we're looking to the world for life. And in that particular area, we might not experience the fruit of the Spirit. But that's not to suggest that we would never experience the fruit of the Spirit in other areas or never see uh, the Spirit manifesting in us in other areas. Um, and we'll use like the political climate, for example. I know a whole lot of believers that I've seen experience the fruit of the Spirit in some areas of their life. But the moment this political environment <laughs> manifested the way that it did, I saw a whole lot of believers who I know are filled with the love of God, filled with hatred and gossip and backbiting. And I know it's not because they're bad people. And I know it's not because they don't love the Lord. But in that area, they hadn't realized how much they were walking after the flesh. And so when that whole environment manifested, they could have had peace and love and joy over here, right? No problem, right? But in this area, all of a sudden, Christ was made of no effect in that area because they were walking after the flesh. 
right? Does 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 that kind yeah, of so like you're what saying you're it's saying? a circumstantial thing that when things come to press in and where someone's heart is, that's kind of a real litmus test of of what's inside someone. Yeah, what you're looking to. What you're looking to. Yeah, but I would I, if, if that's what it sounds like you're saying, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's one of the reasons why I thought I was free when we first moved back here. Right. Because I was filled with the fruit of the Spirit in all these different areas. I had no idea that I was still looking for life from uh, a ministry or from people believing I'm a good preacher or anything like that. But the second I was in that place, it was like, boom, right? The darkness that was in my heart all of a sudden came out Mm. like a glaring problem. And I could see it real clearly. Right. Right. And then... I just started connecting with God in that place. Right. And then he healed me. I started realizing, well, I can't find life in the ministry. I can't find life in people believing I'm a good preacher. Whether I'm a good preacher or not a good preacher can't give me anything. Right? And I had to learn that. And I learned it through a lot of angst. Right? And some of you that walked close with me during that time realized how much angst I felt. Thomas. I mean, I used to go sit with Thomas weekly. This poor guy thought any week now he's shutting down the church. (laughs) I would just share with Thomas some of the hell I was living through. Right. And it was just like it felt so heavy. And the 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 fruit of the spirit was not manifesting in that area where I was still trying to be justified by people liking how I talked and by people agreeing that I was good. And I learned in the place of that angst by just looking to the Father. Man, he actually taught me more about the faith through that angst than I knew about the faith before that angst came. Right? And I don't say he gave me the angst so that he could teach me. But I saw that in that place, I knew enough to know God's with me that I started connecting with him. And I started realizing this is all dumb. And I I learned. And And now in that place, I see a lot of fruit in that area now. Whereas before in that area... Christ had, was, hadn't produced fruit yet. The, the way I would put it without, uh, it, this will be provocative and, uh, and, and require some explanation, but I actually feel better about having a depraved mind. When you think about it, it's easy to blame yourself for having been deceived. I mean, that's why a, a depraved mind is just a mind that operates on deception, right? Yeah. But we're not to blame. To be, we're not to blame for our, 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 our being deceived. <laughs> we're actually innocent of the accusation that we're not children of God. Right. So if we're convinced by a lie that we're not children of God, we're not to blame for that lie. Right. And if you operate under that belief, you're operating with a depraved mind, yeah. a carnal knowledge. Mm. And where'd that come from? Not from us, and not from God. Right. So it's almost like, well, who is the enemy? It ain't me, and it ain't God. Right. It's not you. Let's all agree. It's death. Yeah. Right. We've all been victimized. So in that sense, I feel better about having a depraved mind. Not like, yeah, I got a depraved mind. <laughs> not, oh, I want to celebrate this depraved mind. I want to continue to operate on this depraved mind. No. Where'd the depraved mind come from? Right. Yeah. When death, it's like, uh, when death, it's like a blaming yourself for fever. I, I'm, I'm just not good. I got a fever. You know, that sounds silly. You wouldn't want your child to think that way. As a father, you'd say, I'm going to take care of that fever and the virus that's causing it in you. You're going to be fine. You're, you're, you're just a victim. I don't want to say we're all victims and nobody's accountable in this world for their actions. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, Satan tempts you to do something, and when you do it, he shames you for it. Yeah. 
<laughs> you shame yourself. And then when you see someone else doing something that you are uh, tempted to do, you shame them for doing it. <laughs> it's just like a, yeah. But if you get down to the basics as we have here, that who is and what is the enemy? It's death. Who is the thief? Right. It's death, and at the end of the day, wherever anyone is going, as humans, we're created to want to experience life. And can we all agree that anybody who says something with a British accent sounds more intelligent? Yes. <laughs> is it just me? We can all agree with that. We can all agree, that's yes, right. I wasn't told that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you needed to hear it. <laughs> but, there, but there's no life there. So. <laughs> no, I mean, Paul said a very serious thing. He said he learned to be content, right? Whether he uh, was abased or whether he abounded. He said he learned. He used that word, which to Simon's point, there was a process there. So it's not like uh, there was no effect in Paul when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and the scales fell off his eyes and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Christ had some serious effect in his life. And then there was a learning process, right? A walking out what he saw to be the truth and then connecting with that in places where his life would come under destruction, right? And, and I think one of the places he, he, he shows it to us all. Um, is it 2 Corinthians 12 or is it 1 Corinthians 12 where he said he called out to God thrice to remove the thorn? I think that's one of the areas where you see Paul learning, right? Yeah. The, because he thought the removal of the thorn was life. Yes, he thought his sufficiency yeah. to have the life that he knew was good was if this thorn could be removed. Yeah. He thought the sufficiency for the gospel to do its work was found if this thorn could be removed. And then in that place, he knows enough about God, though, to be connecting with God about it instead of trying to sort it out himself. Taking it to the extreme, Jesus avoiding the cross would not have brought him out of the grave. No. That's exactly what he's saying. He learned that in the place of needing life or being tempted with the, the life that's in the world, either not having it or you can have life in the world. Because I don't know if you noticed it, but when you're abounding... It's real easy to all of a sudden find your heart connecting with the beautiful thing in the world yeah. instead of just enjoying it. And so he, what he realized is I might have everything in the world. The sufficiency for me to be filled with peace and love and joy and rest isn't found in everything I have in the world. It's still found in Christ, right? It's still found in the life that manifested in Jesus. And whether I have nothing in the world, my sufficiency to find peace and love and joy is found in Christ and the life that manifested in Christ. That's what he learned. He learned. And I think Simon's right. You walk with God, and as the, the end goal for God is for you to see God there with you. So that when the world tries to uncover your nakedness, or it tries to point at the destruction you see all around you, that you connect with God in that place. And as you connect with God in that place, and you're walking with God in the garden of your heart, right? Which is a great analogy for the Garden of Eden. You and God meet in your heart. God come and looking for you all the time, every day. Right? And he's trying to get you to connect with him in your heart. That when you encounter the hell in the world, you start connecting with him in that place. And to Simon's point, you start learning contentment. Or you start, you start finding your heart satisfied with life, whether you're abased or whether you're abounding. Right? right? Because you're identifying with the life of God. Right? 
Does that, does that make sense? Paul said it this way in Galatians 6. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says there, God forbid that I should ever rejoice in anything when it comes to having life other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, why? By whom the world is crucified to me, and me unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So when it talks about availing something, he's talking about that which can serve you with life. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything. Well, circumcision, guys, I don't know if you realize this. I'm sure you do. Circumcision in that context is something you could see in the flesh. Uncircumcision would be something you could also see in the flesh. So what Paul's talking about is the strength that we can see in our flesh, the strength that we can see in the life we have from the world avails nothing. So God forbid that I could ever rejoice in the strength I see in my flesh. Right? God forbid that I would ever rejoice in the strength I see in the world because that availeth nothing. The only thing that availeth something in Christ, which he's talking about the faith there. He says, in this faith, because that's how he started Galatians. He talked about the faith of the Son of God. He talked about his apostleship came because he, he encountered Jesus personally. And when he encountered Jesus personally, to Jim's point, he saw the glorified man Jesus. He saw that a human was the temple of the living God. Because you have to understand, in the Jewish religion, the fire of God's life manifested in a physical temple. Well, now all of a sudden, when he encountered the man Jesus on the road to Damascus, that fire that used to manifest in the physical temple, he saw manifested in this dude, Jesus. And all of a sudden, he saw everything his heart ever desired standing right in front of his face. He never really connected with what his heart was lusting after. He never knew what he was really longing for. And so he tried to find satisfaction in everything in the world, being a Hebrew of the Hebrew, being circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, as pertaining to the righteousness of the law, blameless, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But when he saw Jesus, he immediately started backtracking. How did this guy end up like this? This is a dude that hung on the tree that was the weakest that was the most despised, that was not noble according to the flesh, that was not wise according to the flesh, that was not strong according to the flesh. And yet this dude manifested with the glory of God inside of his body. So it wasn't the strength of the flesh that availed anything for this guy. What is it that availed something for this guy? And so Paul started remembering Jesus's hands nailed to a tree. And he started realizing in the place of this guy being filled with all weakness, all he did was call upon the name of the father. All he did was commit his desire for life into the hands of the Father. And then all of a sudden, he found the life of God manifesting in him. So Paul says, listen, man, the, the thing which avails in Christ is a new creature. Which, I mean, what that means is that God groaned in travail as a woman in childbirth. And God, out of himself, gave birth. He separated mankind from death yes. and recreated man in his likeness or right. the likeness of his life. Right. And so the only thing that avails anything is for you to see or for you to be persuaded by beholding Jesus that you're dead to the world and the world to you. Mm. What that means is that your life isn't hidden in the world. 
So what you'll learn is not to look to the things in the world to try to find satisfaction. And you'll start to only look towards God to find satisfaction. And that will fill you with the fruit of the Spirit. He says, he says as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them yeah. and mercy. Yeah. And then he says something real interesting. Upon the Israel of God. <clears throat> Because the whole point here was these Galatians thought that they would be Israel by being circumcised in the flesh of their foreskin. Mm -hmm. And Paul comes and says something completely different about who, Israel, who God's Israel is. <laughs> God's Israel is not according to the flesh. It never was. Then Paul says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear about in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What's he saying? Sounds like a trick question. He's dead. <laughs> he's dead? Yeah. I mean, in the context of what he says there, I'm dead to the world and the world to me? Yeah, it's a crucifixion. That's right. That's immediately what I think. His hands? What does James say when he found the, the, those guys trying to serve themselves with peace? Cleanse ye your hands, you sinners. Right. Right? So when Paul says he bears about in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus, he's saying his hands are nailed. Meaning he ain't looking to them for life. Right? That's the faith of the Son of God. God forbid I should rejoice in anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus. From where God divorced my life from being hid in the world. And he did something to where my life could be liberated from this world and hid with him in Christ. I rejoice in that. Right. And he finds himself walking in the world, looking on the world and looking on the things in the world and finding his heart saying they can't serve me with life. And to Simon's point, it's not an exercise of willpower. You'll become more and more persuaded. I'm much more persuaded today that the world can't give me anything than I was five years ago and way more than 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago when they stole the air conditioners off the building. Right. I, I legitimately had to grapple with this is a sign that we ain't supposed to be doing this. <laughs> yep. Seriously. Yeah. You guys think I'm joking. We couldn't have church for five weeks. Yeah. Those air conditioners get... And I, I mean, Becky and I, we already were struggling. We come from having these high-paying jobs. Now it's like, where are we going to get a check? It's not like we quit our jobs to, like, you know, ingratiate ourselves. And so surely, Lord, if we're here doing your work, how could this happen? Yeah. So we must not be doing your work. And then for five weeks, I sat in that church all by myself. Hearing the voices, feeling condemned, being confused. But in that place, I was connecting with God. And I learned the gospel, right? I saw the faith clearly. He started discerning my life through the cross, through the faith. He started showing me by showing me Jesus. Greg, did Jesus have anything in the world? No. Did Jesus have life? Yes. And I started seeing that real clearly. Greg, was, was I with Jesus when he was on the cross? Yes. Was the cross a sign that he wasn't the son of God? No. He started teaching my heart. I started finding contentment even in the place of being abased. And that started serving me with peace in the place of everything going haywire. Right? It's a powerful thing Paul says there. But God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. When he talks about the world there, he's talking about the elementary principles of the world, which is what? Touch not, taste not, handle not. The elementary principles of the world is that the power or sufficiency for you to have life is found in the strength that you see in your flesh or in the world. 
And Paul comes and says, listen, man, God forbid that I should glory in anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in that faith that I see in Jesus has now told me that the elementary principles of this world cannot serve me with life. So when I saw that in Jesus, what I did was it brought something forth in me. I even want to say it that way. It's not what I did, but when I beheld the faith, it produced something in me where I gave up the ghost or I laid down the life I could have from the world or to use Jesus's language, I hated the life I could gain from the world. To hate the life you could gain from the world doesn't mean you don't like listening to music. It doesn't mean you don't like going to movies. It doesn't mean you don't like going to a restaurant or, or doing things like, like that. Right. It, what it means is, is you look at the life the world has to offer you and you see it's like the fig tree. You see that it promises you the fruit of the Spirit, but in your heart you know that it can't deliver. Right? And so you, you begin to discern that kind of a dynamic. And that's what Paul's rejoicing in. He, he was crucified with Christ. And he says in that place where I began to see that the world can't give me what I need. Relationships can't give me what I need. People can't give me what I need. In that place, what I began to find happen was the life of Christ was manifested in me. And it was no longer me that was living. The power behind my life was no longer my own strength and the things I could gain from the world, but the power behind my life became God himself, right? right. And that's what he rejoiced in. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear about in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's a powerful thing he says there. I want to read something else that is powerful. Um, I want to hear what people think about it. So I don't know if you guys know Matthew over here. Do you guys know Matthew? Right. Hi, Matthew. Hey, Matthew. If you haven't met Matthew, this is Matthew. Yeah. But he posted something on the Bible study page the other day. I don't know if y'all saw it, but I just want to read it out loud. The resurrection of Christ is proof what really died on the cross. Yes. The resurrection of Christ is proof what really died on the cross. Do you want to, do you want to share anything about that statement? It was just, for me, it just, it was a revelation of just how things look and how things appear. It was, um, it looked like it was the end of the world. It was just, I can only imagine how it felt when you feel it every day when we're on our cross. And, um, to outside looking in, unless like that, to me, it was like the carnal mindset dying. Yeah. And, the only way for his life to be birthed through that is for it to die. Like he said, unless the seed dies, unless it bears much fruit. And the resurrection went fruit, and it, it came forth, and what everybody thought was holding Christ down was, it was quite the opposite. It was, it was done with it, and no longer had power because of the resurrection. Yeah. That's good. What do y'all think about that? <laughs> Like you, like you, I think that's consistent all the way through the Bible. And it started with Adam and Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when Satan told them that they couldn't have the life that they could have if they followed God because God didn't love them, He didn't care for them, and so they couldn't depend on Him. But He could tell them how they could do it themselves, and He did that. And unfortunately, they believed it, yeah. and they followed it through, 
And you see that pattern over and over again throughout the Bible. And I talked about this, I think, at the Moon's Bible study. And I'll make this as short as I can. But, you know, back in, in Numbers 13 and 14, you've got Israelites have been told by God to go in and take the promised land. They've already looked and saw how great it was, except for all these giants that were living there. Okay, so they all got together, and uh, the night before they're supposed to go, they have all their little meetings, camp meetings, and they have expressed their opinions, and the vast majority of them were scared to go in, and they said, if we go in, we're all going to die. And so they went to Moses, and they said, Moses, we're not going in because they're bigger than us, and they're going to kill us, and blah, 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 blah. And so uh, Moses listened to him, and he went and talked to God and said, you're not going to go in. And God said, well, who will go in? And so Moses and two other guys and their families said, we'll go in. And so God said, that's all I need. You go in and take the land. And so go tell those people that they can't go in. And so Moses did that. He went and told all those people who had their little camp meetings and decided that was the wrong thing to do. And he said, well, we're leaving you guys behind and we're going in. And they said, well, uh, huh? Uh, uh, maybe we ought to think about this again. And so they thought about it, and they said, well, uh, we still don't believe it. We don't know for sure what we're going to do tomorrow, but uh, maybe you'll see us and maybe you won't. <laughs> and so Moses took his men, followed what God said, and God had told him the, the day before when Moses said, well, they might come in and they might not. And God said, tell them, don't go in. And he didn't say that because he's like, oh, you were bad, and, and so I'm going to punish you for this. He didn't say that. He just said, tell them not to go in, because if they try it now, they won't be bringing me with them. And because they won't be bringing me with them, said another way, they don't believe me, they don't trust me, I'm not in their lives, and they won't have what they need to fight the enemy. So God was still trying to protect them. Yeah. And he said, tell them this. They won't go in. That's fine. Just tell them to wait behind, and I'll take them all out in the wilderness, and I'm going to take care of them for the rest of their lives. And when they die off and their kids are around, and if they haven't been too tainted by what their dad and mom said to them, then I'll bring them in at that point. Yeah. So he goes back and tells them the whole story. And they, oh, well, I don't want to wander in the wilderness the rest of my life. Well, okay, maybe we'll bring up the rear or something. But Okay, kind of sin. What do you guys think? <laughs> and Moses, Moses came back and told God, and God said, tell them they, they, they're not bringing me with them. They're going to try to do it in their own strength. They'll never succeed. Yeah. And so he tried to tell them, and they wouldn't hear it. He said, if you guys are going, we're going to be there somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, the next day, they all went up. 
all the guys who didn't want to wander in the wilderness and didn't want to take God with them, wiped out. Yeah, that's like a picture of fake it till you make it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. exactly. That's why this is so significant to me. Yes. Because you're walking around thinking that somehow you've made this peace with God, and so you should have an expectation that even though you don't believe in God, you don't trust in God, uh, you've heard lots of stuff, and you want what this guy over here has, but you don't know how you're going to get there from here. And you say, well, I, I can I can do, I can put on a good show. Let's do that. Yeah, willpower. Yeah, willpower. Fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Fake it till you make it. Right. And they end up just like the ones who went in when God told them not to because they didn't bring him with them. Yeah. And that was the key. They had to carry God with them in their mind, in their hearts. And he was going to fight the battle for them and they would be successful. The ones who did that were successful. The ones that didn't weren't successful, and the group that was left behind went and wandered in the wilderness. Yeah. I like how you bring up the, the Adam and Eve in, in the, the scriptures, because the resurrection of Christ is proof what really died on the cross. Right? right. And the serpent is there telling Eve, questioning God's integrity towards her life, did this guy really tell you you can't eat from this tree? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. What kind of a guy would do something like that? What kind of a guy would hold back something for you? So in that place, Eve thought that she was going to die. Right? That she's dying. But really, what would have what happened if she wouldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they would eat from the tree of life, is death would have died. Right? On, on the cross. What does it look like as dying? Life, life yeah. is dying. But what is it that was really dying? Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like all that is good in life is dying, but really life is coming forth at the cross. Mm -hmm. It's like God groaning in travail, like a woman in childbirth, right? That like when a woman's groaning in travail in childbirth, it doesn't sound like life is coming forth. In fact, it sounds like death is coming forth. But in that place, God was giving birth to himself. He was giving birth to life in the earth. He was making a new creation so that we could partake with him in his life. Yeah. So, for us, when we see the resurrection now, doesn't that tell us that it wasn't life that was dying on the cross? What was it that was dying? Death. So, for our lives, when we run into hard times or we experience pain, what is it that we think is dying? Life. <laughs> okay, but what's dying? The death yeah. in us. The death that's been tormenting us is dying. It's throwing a fit. Yeah. It's like a demon that comes out because it's about to be sent away. Well, we look at the death we encounter, just like we looked at Jesus' death, like he just said so beautifully through the carnal mind, and we think the pic the cross is a picture of everything that's good dying. I mean, Peter even wanted to stop Jesus from going to the cross because he thought everything that's good is going to die. And Jesus is trying to tell him, no, you don't get it, man. I'm going to give birth to my life in this place by doing that. And so the carnal mind interprets the hell that it sees and interprets the pain that it feels as a sign that we're dying. Mm -hmm. 
But we see that the resurrection is the proof that it isn't Jesus that was dying on the cross. Something else was dying. What was dying? Sin and death. Right. What does it say? What did Paul say Jesus died unto in Romans 6? Does it say Jesus died unto life? No. It says he died unto what? Yeah. Sin. Sin. Sin right. And Ronnie, Ronnie's right. Because right after that, he says the wages of sin is death. Yeah. So he was dying unto death so that he could be alive forevermore, never to taste death again. Right? And we never look at it like a far greater weight of glory is being worked in us when we encounter death in the world. We always look at it as if we're dying. Yeah. So the moment we feel anxiety, the moment we feel fear, the moment we feel uncomfortable, the moment we feel anything doesn't look right, we immediately hear the carnal mind telling us, you're dying. Instead of thinking, no, 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 life is being born in me. Death is dying. The fear that's come against my life is dying. This anxiety that I feel, this pressing in that I feel, is a sign that fear is giving up the ghost in me. It's not a sign that my life is being overcome. It's a sign that the fear that's come against my life is breathing its last breath, and it's dying, and it's crying and throwing a fit because it doesn't like it. But we view it as if we're dying. And we need to start viewing those moments knowing what's inside of us. Can God's life die? Well, what is upholding your life? God's life. And so when the world tries to press in on God's life, do you know what happens? That life overcomes. It super abounds. And what happens is, is you're actually being set free from the things that have tried to torment your life all your life. Right? And so you could behold it like a woman in travail in childbirth. Life is coming forth. And what does it say about a woman being in birth pains? But when the child is delivered, isn't it Jesus that said that? What did he say? Glory. The joy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, that's how you can look at your life, is what Matthew is saying. Right? Mm -hmm. That you can think it's the end of the world. You can think that everything's coming to an end. You're never going to make it. But the resurrection is the proof of what was really dying on the cross. So the resurrection is the proof of what's really dying when you feel that. Yeah. You know what's dying when you feel that? The old man. Right. That's still trying to set up shop in your heart. Yeah. The fear that is attached to that old man is yes. dying. That's what's dying. Right? Right. But only if you set your eyes on, like, I feel like you could be in that place and set your eyes on the pain, and you're going to continue. Like, it won't die if you focus and exalt the carnal mind. Yeah, if you ultimately don't see it. But I can say for myself. But if you, like, get with God, like you were saying, then he can actually heal and do what he does. Yeah, yeah, you could still feel the pain, but the truth still is what's dying. Mm -hmm. yeah. You might keep feeling the pain. Guess what? That's still a sign that the death is dying. You're just yeah. prolonging it. Yeah. You keep give, putting it on life support. It's still dying, though. It's still dying. You're not, you can't prevent it from dying, but you keep like, yeah, you keep shocking it back to life. So you might be prolonging the anxiety that you feel, but that anxiety is still a sign that it's dying. Yes. Yes. Right. You can have a quick death or a slow death, <laughs> right? You can allow that death to have a quick death or a slow death. You can keep stringing it out. For me, I'm a stubborn kind of guy. I strung it out for a long time, right? And I didn't understand any of it. But I can tell you what, sitting here today, it didn't stop that thing from dying in me. All my confusion, all the stuff I walked out of, all the things that I believed that were wrong, all the times I cursed God, nobody thought they could find life in the world more than me. I'm the chief of that kind of a guy. I, I really thought I could find life in the world. And I, I was pretty good at working it. That's and, why I thought and it. And I was going to say the carnal mind is, you know, extremely deceptive. Yeah. And, you know, that's why it says that 
when Adam and Eve looked at the, you know, the knowledge of the good and evil, that there was food there that looked wise, and they looked good for food. And so we all want life, and so it's 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 hard to, it's easy to understand why unless you understand what's going on there, why people are running to, to that way of life, because it makes perfect logical sense. Whereas the gospel seems foolishness to, 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 to the carnal mind. That's the exercising of the senses. Yeah. Our senses of this mortal body, tell us those things can satisfy our desire. Mm. That's what it tells us. It looks good for food, to to Simon's point. It's the fig tree that has leaves, which if a fig tree has leaves, it means it has fruit. And so we see the leaves on the fig tree, and we think that, therefore, it has the fruit we need. And so the exercising of the senses is where you see that's not really true. The resurrection of Christ is proof what really died on the cross. So Christ came out full of life, what didn't come out with him? Death. Death. Sin and death. So what died? Sin and death. Okay, did he look like he was suffering on the cross? Yes. Did it look like the end of the world when he was on the cross? Yes. Everybody around him, all his disciples, thought it was the end of the world. Was it the end of the world? No. What was dying when it looked like it was the end of the world? Sin and death. Okay, you're supposed to let that tell you something about your life. When it seems like the end of the world, are you dying? No. What's dying? Death. Now it's much harder for everybody. Everybody agrees real quick with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we come to you. No. 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 That's when we're living by a different faith than the faith of the Son of God. So let's try all that again. When Jesus was on the cross, did it look like the end of the world? Yes. Yes. Did it look like life was dying? Yes. Yes. Did Jesus come out of the grave? Yes. What didn't come out of the grave? Yes. Okay, so what died? Death. Okay, now us. When it looks like the end of the world, are we dying? No. When it feels like we're dying, is it us that is dying? No. What is it that's really dying when we think it's the end of the world? Yes. Sin and death. death. Right. Don't we want our lives to be delivered from the sin and the death? Yes. yes. Okay. The Holy Spirit can intercede in your heart and it can despise the effect of the, the angst that you feel. It can cause you to see this anxiety that I feel is not a sign that I'm dying. It's a sign that sin and death is dying. Right. And you can even find yourself saying, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> right? You can find yourself rejoicing in weakness because you can start to see it through the mind of Christ. Mm. Which, why did Christ go to the cross? When he talked about why he went to the cross, he went to the cross because he knew he was going to put off sin and death. Yeah. He was going to shed the body of death. That weakness that he felt when his body sweat blood. He knew the way I'm going to get rid of this body that can feel weakness is at the cross. Right? Amen. And so he rejoiced in that. And man, you you can find your life being strengthened by the grace of God if you can start to see that. Because you know how the carnal mind gets you to take up your own life? You know how the carnal mind gets you to try to serve yourself and protect yourself? It convinces you that the world's coming to an end. It convinces you that your life is perishing and that everything that's good is going to die. And if you believe that, do you know what you're going to do next? You're going to try to comfort yourself. 
But if you, the next time you feel that anxiety, the next time you think it's the end of the world, if you can hear the voice of the Spirit saying to you, the resurrection is the proof that it's not your life that's dying right now. It's the proof that the sin and death that's tormenting your life is what's dying. And it doesn't like it. That's why it's throwing a fit. That's why you feel it. Right? And that's why it's very encouraging to me when Paul said, I have fought the good fight. He knew the fight. It wasn't about um, uh, years ago. It was about how many good things I did. I fought the good fight. No, that wasn't it at all. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, he knew the fight. He knew the battle. But the thing which I do also love is the fact that not only Paul himself through his life had to battle with that, that Jesus, fully human, although he never succumbed to it, that he was tempted in every way that we are. And that temptation came to Jesus. And that gives me great hope. You know, this flesh is not willing. Yeah, no. This flesh is not willing. Do you know what's willing? The spirit. Yeah, the spirit. That's why God get the spirit in you. Yeah. Right? And then what he does is he preaches the spirit to you through the gospel. Yeah. So that spirit starts connecting with his spirit that's in you. Right. And when your flesh is unwilling to hear any of that, you begin to hear the voice of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? And you begin to start in understanding the voice of the spirit. Like right before Jesus says, let this cup pass for me. Not my will, but your will be done. You have to interpret that through a whole lot of stuff. You can't just read that passage and walk away with what you want to walk away from. Jesus and the Father are one. They have the same desire. They're the same person. Emmanuel is called Everlasting Father. So all of a sudden, Jesus and the Father didn't have the same will? So what is it that didn't have the will, the same will as the Father? The carnal mind. He starts off that whole passage by saying the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. And so Jesus was giving utterance to the carnal mind in that place. The carnal mind thinks that the death in this world is death. The carnal mind thinks that life is found in the world. The carnal mind didn't want to go to the cross because the carnal mind was thinking it needs to preserve its life. But Jesus knew the only way for his life to actually be preserved was for him to lay down the life he had from the world. It was actually at the cross that he would find his life being preserved. Do you know what delivers our life from the sin and death in this world? When we lay down the life that we have in the world, right? When we stop trying to preserve our lives in this world is when we find our hearts persuaded our lives have been preserved, right? Right? (laughs) Do you guys see that? It's a powerful thing that he said. I have to to keep saying it. It's a powerful, powerful thing that he's saying there because we all interpret the, the death that we think we feel and see as if it's the end of the world. Well, hallelujah. Paul said that he came to the place where he saw he was dead to the world and the world to him. Let it be the end of the world in your life. That's where you're going to find what you're always crying for. It's when it is the end of the world. It is the end of the world. The world is dying unto me and me unto the world. Hallelujah. Right? And that's where a place where a great resurrection occurs. And that's how you ought to look at it. Sin and death don't want to die. And every time it starts dying... Around you, do you know what it's going to do? Throw itself on the ground. That's right. A fit. Tantrum. It's going to throw a fit. It might make you foam. <laughs> it might make you cry. I've seen Lisa like that. Yeah. It could make you. It could do all sorts of things to, to fill you with the idea that you're dying. No, it's dying. It's dying. And when you start having eyes to see what's really dying when you feel that way. 
when you start to see that, oh, this is the same thing Jesus felt. Yeah. If you can't see it for yourself yet, keep seeing it with Jesus. Yes. Okay. It looked like the end of the world for Jesus, but Jesus came out of the grave. What didn't come out of the grave? Sin, Sin and death. Sin. So what was really dying? Sin, Sin and death. death. That's what Jesus saw at the cross. Jesus didn't see his life was being overcome. He saw sin and death was being overcome. Yes. That was the grace. That's what caused him to disesteem the cross. It says for the joy set before him. Paul come and called it the glory, that the afflictions of this world are light in comparison to the glory. So Jesus saw that death is dying at this cross and glory is manifesting in me at this cross. And that's how you can start looking at it in your life. And it's so easy for me to see. Listen, man, there's times, there's been so many times where I thought I was dying. Where I really thought I was dying. Most recently, the starting of this church. And then everybody in ministry rejecting us and all of that. I, man, there's times where I thought I was sweating blood. I can look back clearly now, and it's easy for me to see sin and death was dying. Wow. That when I thought I was dying... The fear that had gotten in my heart is what was really dying. When I thought that everything that was good was dying, when I thought my reputation was dying, when I thought my life was dying, when I thought everything was dying, it's easy for me to look back now and see it wasn't me that was dying. But I really believed it. I really believed it was me that was dying. But it was not. It was the fear that was dying. It was the death that was dying. It was the carnal mind that was dying. It was the life in this world that was dying. It was the end of the world. It's just not, I'm not in the world. Right. My life isn't hidden in the world. So if it's the end of the world, it's not the end of me. And let this mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus, right? That's the same mind. When it feels like it's the end of the world, man, hear the voice of the Spirit interceding in your heart, reminding you that the world is dying to you in that place. You're not dying. Right? A divorce is occurring in your heart. A separation in your heart from the life that's in the world. I, I picture what happened on the cross uh, like this. Jesus was in the middle of the ocean treading water. I'm like, well, that's dangerous. <laughs> and then here comes two figures swimming up to him, sin and death. And when we see them, they go, oh, man, he's going to die because they're after him. And they come to dunk his head under. And what Jesus does is he, he just grabs both of them. And they all go under. And they're not seen for three days. And everybody's watching, man. He, he's, he's at the bottom of the sea. And then Jesus pops up at the surface three days later. But he's the only one that came up. Right? So he took sin and death down with him to the grave. He came back to the surface, and when we see that, we say, wow. Sin and death have been overcome by a man who believed in God as his father. Yeah. Sin and death died. Yeah. If, is everybody in here called upon the name of the Lord for life? Has everybody in here come, in the place, come to the place where you've realized you can't serve yourself with eternal life, that you can only receive it as a gift from God? Okay then guess what's dwelling in you? Eternal life. Amen. Guess what's dwelling in you? God himself. Amen. Guess what's upholding your life? God. God is in you upholding your life. So when the stuff in this world tries to convince you that it is the end of the world and you can die, listen, God will not suffer you to see corruption. 
He will not leave your life in the grave. And so what does that mean? That you're not the one dying. You're not the one losing life. You're not the one that's perishing. It's the death that's perishing. The fear is perishing. The sin and death is perishing. Right? That's what the cross is the proof of. That's what the resurrection demonstrates. It gives you eyes to look back on the cross and cause you to think something completely different about what was happening there. Right? Because the carnal mind tells you one thing's happening there, and it tells you that, so you never want to go there. So every time you get close to feeling pain, no, no, I'm not going there. No, 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 I'm not going there. That's where I'm dying. No, that's where the pain's dying. And the resurrection gives you eyes to see the cross as the place where the pain that's tormenting you dies, not where you die. And so now you come running to the cross. You're knocking people out the way. Get out my way as I run to this cross, right? You become like George on Seinfeld when their fire alarm goes off. He, he pushes the women and the children out the way, so he's the first one out the door, right? The carnal mind's trying to tell you the pain is a sign you're dying. Yes. And so that causes you to retract from the cross. But the resurrection gives you eyes to see what was really dying at the cross. So it draws you to it, and you start having fellowship with the fact that it's death and sin that's dying here. And you stay in there grabbing on, hugging that cross, beholding that cross. You find like what Paul says, God forbid I rejoice in anything save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And why would he rejoice in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? He saw that as the foundation from where the life of God would be manifested in him. He saw that as the foundation from where it would be the end of the world in his heart. It, the end of the world is a good thing. Yes. Yes. And so if it feels like it's the end of the world, I mean, hear the voice of God telling you, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that it's the end of the world, because guess what? It can't be the end of you, because I'm in you. I'm upholding your life. And so if it's the end of the world, it can't be the end of you. It's the end of what torments you. Right? Right. Yeah. And it will change our thoughts. I mean, most of the destruction we see come out of our life is because we become convinced that the end of the world is the end of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? The pain, the fear that we feel is that we're perishing. That's how we interpret it. It's a sign we're perishing, right? But this gives you a different sign. And it starts putting your flesh to rest, right? And you start to find comfort in that place, right? Where you no longer go to the world for the comfort that you used to go to the world for. You no longer swing into action trying to preserve yourself. I promise you, the only thing that comes out when you do that is more destruction, right? (laughs) That's why you find Paul saying funny things like he rejoiced when he was weak. You you find Paul even talking about that we have this treasure in earth and vessels in order that we would know the excellency is of God and not of us, right? And you start finding yourself in the place where you can even interpret the weakness as a sign life is coming forth. Every one of us, when we see a woman in childbirth, what do we think is happening? She's giving birth to life. Every single one of us thinks that's what's happening. Yet, when we ourselves find ourselves groaning in travail, none of us think life is coming forth. All of us think life is dying. It ought not be that way. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow. Wow. What's Callie? Do you remember what you said? Was it last week? 
about let it die? Yeah. Do you remember uh, what you I'm said? I'm going to stay here till it's dead. I'm going to stay here till <laughs> it's dead. <laughs> You're, I'm going to stay here till it's dead. We were talking about the cross. And she said, I'm going to stay here till it's dead. Right? That is a powerful thing. You can't even make thing. yourself stay. You have to be persuaded to rest. Yes. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to stay. <laughs> so I say that as like, you know, an action verb, but really you're persuaded. Yeah. You say that as a result of seeing the father there working life. Yeah. And the outcome, yeah. which is life. Yeah. The outcome. And that's, Jesus knew that. Happen. Yeah. The father is in me and I'm in the father. He will not suffer me to see corruption. I don't know if we're making the connection here. Jesus said, I won't see corruption. Right. So what did that tell him was going to be corrupted at the cross? Him or death? He will not leave my life in the grave. And so Jesus knew that this cross was not going to be the end of him. This cross was going to be the end of sin and death. That's what he knew. And as the son of man, he knew that that meant he was going to be raised up in a body never to be touched by sin and death again. Exactly. Right? It's a wonderful thing when your child teaches you something about your father. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting dynamic, huh? It's a wonderful thing. Amen. I'm gonna stay here till it's dead. Yes. What is it that's dying when we feel like we're dying? Death. Death. Fear. Anxiety. So when we run away from it, what is it that we're trying to preserve? It's Death. not us. Death. 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 Fear. Anxiety. To Callie's point. You don't have the ability not to run away. Start seeing God there with you. Right. The Father is there with you. So don't think, okay, now that I know those things, let me work them. No, no, no. Start beholding the Father with you. He'll work that in you. To Larry's point, it's like uh, if you don't have a belief, if you don't have the persuasion in your heart and you run into a buzzsaw, you're going to get chewed up. Yeah. Yeah. The, the end of the point is, God is with you, even in you. Mm -hmm. And you want to see that the next time you feel anxiety or fear or that the world is coming to an end. Because that's supposed to declare, I'm talking about the subconscious heart, that declares something to your heart. If God Can God be overcome? No. Okay. Right. And so you see God in you upholding your life. And so if something's dying here, it can't be God. No. And that's what happens when you behold God with you, even in you. If something's dying here, it can't be me because God's in me. Right. Self-reliance. Right. And so if something's dying, it, it's the world. And the destruction the world has tried to heap upon my life, it's dying. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus knew. We read over that psalm and we're just like, yeah, you won't suffer his holy one to see corruption. Neither will leave his soul and his life in, in the grave. Wow, that's beautiful. We never stop and think, but what does that mean? And what did that mean to him when he was at the cross? Because that affected what he thought about what was happening. Jesus also knew the father can't die. Jesus also knew the father has a life that can't be corrupted. And so Jesus knew he was in the father and the father was in him. So what is it that he's dying unto? What is it that's dying here? It can't be him. No. What is it? For the, glory, for the joy set before him, he despised the cross, yep. it says. That means everything that the cross was trying to say, the world is coming to an end. Right. The glory that was right in front of his face shrunk that thought. It stopped the mouth of that thought, right? No, 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 no. It's that death is dying. Sin and death is dying. Something beautiful is happening here. 
right? Yeah. So when do you, let me ask questions. So when do you think Jesus came to that conclusion? Like I said, I alluded earlier that he never succumbed to temptation and the three and, three and a half or whatever years of ministry of him obviously demonstrating that, you know, God's kingdom has come and the Messiah is here. But if he was fully human, you know, when was he ready to go to the cross? Does that make sense for him personally rather than just for us? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I always thought, like, you know, why was it three and a half years? I knew the that ministry it was about or... him. I knew it was about him obviously declaring and demonstrating the kingdom and coming out of the desert and coming out of the temple and say, you know, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 mm -hmm. and will demonstrate. But if Jesus was fully man and obviously he grew in wisdom and in stature, when did he come to that point where he, he he's... I think it was in the garden. What's that? In the garden. Explain that. When he was in the garden, sweating drops of blood. Okay, so that, that's what my part, part of my question is, is that that was Jesus as well coming to that conclusion, not just for us. I don't know. I mean, no. Jesus is 10 years old in the synagogue, and when it, Mary and Joseph chastised him, he says, don't, don't you know that I'd be doing my father's will? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and, and he, he says that, but he also says that he grew in wisdom yeah, and yeah. grew in but stature. But I, I, don't, I don't know that I just equate that to some idea that Jesus didn't know. Because if there's there's a lot of things you can, and this is a philosophical argument, because I don't really know that it matters towards the end of experiencing life. But if you argue that Jesus, that he didn't begin his ministry till he was 30 because he didn't understand and he had to understand first, if you make that argument, then how many sins did he commit up until he was 30? Well, it says he never sinned ever. So what that means is, is he never once identified with the life in the world. He never once trusted in the strength of the flesh. So at what point did he not trust in the strength of the flesh? At what point did he never? He had to never ever have done it, right? He had to never have looked to the life in the world. Right. Otherwise, he wouldn't be sinless. Right. So that that seemingly counteracts the idea that he didn't begin his ministry till he was 30 because he himself, as a son of man, had to learn. And and then you have the the, the history of a rabbi and a person not being able to be acknowledged as a rabbi right. till they're 30 years old, which is much more likely that that's why his ministry didn't begin till right. he was 30 years old. Right. But yeah, I mean, I don't, people can have whatever opinion they have about that. Um, I don't see it as a, a, I see it as something interesting to, to wrestle with, but I'm not going to argue with somebody based on what they think about that. Right. Those are the thoughts you want to think of. Could Jesus have been a sinner? No, no. Okay, so what does that tell you about when he came to the understanding? I mean, how old were you the first time you trusted in the life in the world? How old were you? I, did, I mean, listen, I can, the first time I remember clearly the big, the big part of my life when I did it, I was 10. But I know I did it before then. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, you did. You see my mom? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Right, so I, that's just those are the the those are the things I would think about. You don't have to think about them like that, but that's that's the problem I would see. If someone wants to say no, he didn't come to the understanding until he was thirty. The first problem for me is 
the question that would come up is, well, are you saying that he sinned up until he was 30? And see, that's, that's the problem when you're, when you're wrestling with that, right? And the way you could eliminate that problem, if you really want to know this question, you really want to wrestle with God, you can ask God to show you if it was possible for him to be kept from sin while he was still growing and understanding. Mm-hmm. Was there some kind of dynamic going on in him because he was born from the Spirit? His, his, the seed that he came from wasn't Joseph. The right. seed that he came from was God himself. So yeah. is there some kind of dynamic where because he is the spirit in the flesh, that that spirit was able to keep him while he gained understanding, while he learned the wisdom perfectly? Mm-hmm. Was it that that spirit was in him, taking him captive, right? And keeping his members from trusting in themselves while the, the knowledge that he was born from was being sorted out in him intellectually or whether it's being sorted out in his understanding or ability to articulate. Those are some of the things that you could weigh. Right. The first Adam, there was a time the first Adam had eaten from neither tree. Yeah. Great point. There's a time where the first Adam hadn't eaten from either tree. What do y'all think? I think the big takeaway for me is in my own life, I look back. There's been many times where I thought it was the end of the world. There's been many times where I thought it was the end of everything that was good. Like last night, no for time. No, I don't. <laughs> hey, that's that carnal mind again. I've, I've learned, I've learned that not to rejoice in anything save, save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So football, amazingly, doesn't affect me like that. Like my wife didn't even know what happened. She didn't hear me. So, um, <laughs> I've been free. I'm free from that. Um, but the uh, many of us are still in bondage. The big, the big point, the big point for for me is all those times where I thought it was the end of the world. My life was being overcome. Everything that's good is dying. What I realized is it was that was never the truth. Everything that was bad is what was dying. Right. Everything that had tried to destroy me is what was dying in life was actually being worked in me. I can look back on that and clearly see that. And so, man, I encourage everybody to to twist on that with the Lord. Right. Where you start thinking of what is dying when we're at the cross. What's dying there? Right. See, it's called again before you say the resurrection of Christ is proof what really died on the cross. And Thomas interjected, but we kept on talking. One of the things that dies well on the cross is self-reliance. Yeah. We can just let, let, let it go. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I was going to say. You know, we talk about the life in the world. But a lot of times, to me, it came from life in the world. But it's beliefs that are in your heart that are dying. Yeah. Those beliefs come from the life that's in the world. Yeah, that's what yes. I said. They came from the life of the world yeah. that became beliefs in your in your heart. Yeah, because you know? there's a whole lot of cares that go along with the life that's in the world. Because yeah. yes. the life that's in the world is very fragile. Yeah. And so there's many things yes. that can hurt the life that's in the world. And there's many things that the life that's in the world needs to think everything is okay, right? And then there's many beliefs that come forward when the life that's in the world thinks it doesn't have what it needed, right? There's many beliefs that come forward from that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Many, many things that come forward from that. One of those beliefs died last night. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) We can have a little service. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the things I preached about giving up the ghost a long time ago. Right? And and, and when I preached that a long time ago, I preached it from the perspective of dying to all the things that have tried to destroy our life. Right? And that was just the fruit that comes from you laying down the life that's in the world. Because what we don't realize is all those beliefs that fill us with fear and anxiety, they're born from the life that's in the world. Yes. And the moment your heart lays that life down, all the fears and anxiety that come along with it get laid down. And then you're like Jesus. You come out of the grave without the grave clothes on anymore. And you left not just the life that's in the world, but all the beliefs about yourself. You left those in the world too. You left those in the grave, right? Tying that together with Callie's point about God puts us to rest, you can't lay something down until he has made you lay down. Yeah, that's right. He maketh you to lie down in the tender green grass. He puts you to rest. He draws you to the cross. He puts you to rest on the cross. He raises you up, right? It's the whole thing. We're just trying to see him. And so we're talking about the subconscious workings of our heart. And kind of like Jesus brought out the carnal mind. Right. Jesus said things all the time where he said, I said that for your benefit, not for mine and not because it really had to be said. Right. And so a lot of the things we describe today is to discern some of the voices we heard and to clearly discern the carnal mind for us. So that the next time that carnal mind starts yelling at us, telling us the world is coming to an end, our hearts are interceded inside by the Holy Spirit. And we see that differently. We see the whole thought that the world is coming to an end differently. Let it come to an end then. Right? And me and everybody that I love. Hallelujah. Right? Right? Yes, it's coming to an end. Glory to God. Right? You start thinking of it differently. Amen. Does that make sense? Great way to look at it. I'm not saying this is the answer to that that question about why why the timing of what happened to Jesus. God's timing there. Um, But one thing that nobody mentioned that that occurred to me. was the apostles and all the people who initially followed Jesus. He spent a lot of time doing some training and teaching right. and showing and demonstrating. And a handful of those guys was left at the end. And they they proved themselves to be very useful in uh, starting the early church. Yeah. Yeah. And so that may have had some significance in the timing of everything. Yeah. Yeah, and what and what I was, if it, if it came across wrong, I'm not thinking that Jesus before he's 30 and he started his ministry was not knowing who he was and what his mission was and where he was going and um, receiving the relationship <coughs> that he has with the Father and knowing that he was sinless and blameless, you know. Um, no, I think I'm more worried about people that are watching that don't know us. Right. Right. So I was just trying to fill out yeah. all the potential arguments. Yeah. I don't right. think you were saying that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to put as many of the thoughts on the table yeah. that, that you could think around that area. But I think, I think Larry's definitely right there. He was, you know, teaching his disciples and laying a foundation and then also demonstrating that the kingdom has now come. Yeah. You know, so... Amen. What do y'all think? And yet, he, he, he used Paul more than any of them who was not trained up during his right. pre-crucifixion uh, ministry. 
Ray, what's up, what's wrong with your mom? Please take me now. She's in last stages COPD and has decided that she's done fighting. She's done fighting? Yeah. Um, what's her name? Cheryl. Cheryl? Well, we'll just pray right now for Cheryl. Thank you, Father, that uh, you love Cheryl more than any of us can imagine. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've drawn near to her. Lord, we just ask that uh, you give her eyes to see you there with her. That you give her eyes to see you breathing breath into her lungs. Just thank you, Lord, that uh, Cheryl be comforted, Lord. That in this place where she's decided she's done fighting, Lord, that she commit her life into your hands. That she give herself over into your arms. That she sees that you're upholding her. That she sees that you won't suffer her to see corruption. And that she just be filled with the peace that passes understanding, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your hand is stretched forth towards her. Thank you, Lord, that she's in your hand and no one can take her from your hand. Thank you, Lord, that she just know your love in the midst of all this. That the confusion be sent away from her, Lord. That she begin to see that the resurrection is the proof that you're there. That the resurrection becomes the only sign in her heart. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit intercede in her heart. And that every waking moment, that every moment she has, that she sees you there with her. That every breath she breathes, she knows she's breathing you in and breathing you out. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 We'll keep praying for your mom, man.